Welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with your host, Dr. Nick Vanterhaven, and brought to you by ECG Management Consultants. You can learn more about the show on the program's page at healthcarenowradio.com or on our blog at ecgmc.com hud. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per capita than any other country on the planet. So why don't we have superior outcomes? Why haven't the principles of capitalism prevailed? And why do American consumers have so much trouble accessing and paying for healthcare? Each week, Healthcare Upside Down will dive into these and other issues with ECG principal, Dr. Nick, and guest panelists as they discuss the upsides and downsides of healthcare in the U.S. and how to make the system work for everyone. And we end with your better pill to swallow, the conclusion to today's episode with insights on challenges and changes that improve healthcare. Now here's your host, Dr. Nick. The inequities in our healthcare system have been widely documented and made even more apparent with the pandemic revealing, and worse, amplifying them. And while the introduction of digital tools has been welcomed by many, for the underserved, these tools failed to bring any relief or additional benefit. We hear that the underlying contributor is access to technology and broadband, with the FCC saying the estimate of people without internet may be understated. With 12 million children growing up in homes that had no internet connection, according to the 2017 report from Congress, and some 19 million households in America are in rural areas that remain unconnected. There are even jaw-dropping statistics that suggest that more than 157 million Americans don't use internet at broadband speeds. These problems loom large over any attempts to solve health access with digital technology, and there are no short-term fixes for these large infrastructure problems. But by partnering with the right institutions and organizations, we can start to solve these problems. Partnerships that must be founded on trust, a trust based on the community being served and inclusivity of all the stakeholders in health and wellness of the individual and the extended family and community. That group extends far beyond the individual patient to the extended family, including key friends and family advocates and into the community and leans on the groups and services best equipped to help in coordinating and delivering effective solutions. Join me on Healthcare Upside Down as I talk with Dr. John Jenkins, an internal medicine doctor who runs special projects for the Greensboro Area Health Education Centers, or AHEC, in digital health, and is also a clinical academic resource director at the Greensboro campus of UNC Chapel Hill, Cone Health. He's solving the lack of access in a unique and innovative way. Hi, John. Welcome to the show. Oh, hi, Nick. How are you? Very well, thank you. So COVID has been an amplifier of many things, but one of the largest is inequity in all sorts of areas, but healthcare especially, and uh, in the, the access that individuals have to our healthcare system. You've really been knee deep in trying to fix that problem. Tell us a little bit about what you've seen and what you've discovered to date. Sure, Nick. I think that for our listeners, one of the things that is, is really critical is understand how I got to where I am today. And I started out in digital health in 2013, uh, working with creating access. Actually, ECG was a consultant that I used. 
And uh, we worked with e-visits and uh, digital visits, creating access for our patients who were already customers of our healthcare system. One of the things that I realized was that I was creating access for people who already had access. I was really solving for convenience. And much of the literature pre-COVID talked about convenience as a motivator for digital health. What I learned during COVID as I worked with safety net practices across the state of North Carolina to help them start their digital health programs was that access doesn't always equate to equity. And equitable access was something that we needed to work towards as a goal in our healthcare systems. So one of the fundamentals that keeps coming up in this inequity, especially around digital health, is the digital access that is lacking in that population. Um, recent stats, I've seen 27 million folks who just don't have. Have you been able to solve for any of that? Sure. So that, that's really a, a critical juncture of what you can do today and what, you will, what your goal is to do tomorrow. So when we look at what we could do today, could I solve for broadband? Um, no. Uh, broadband, even with funding, which we now have in the state of North Carolina, it's going to take years to solve for. And part of broadband access includes creating digital literacy. So how do you end up um, doing something to create access today? And the learning we had as we worked with groups across the state was that we have the potential to partner with trusted partners that are in locations that already have internet access, such as our schools, our community centers, and our churches that are our customers, our patients, and in the case of the focus of my work, children, are very comfortable at coming to, and they're there eight hours a day. So how can we bring the care to students where they are in a situation that overcomes this inequity created by broadband access. You know, I think that's really intriguing because as you look at those areas, so trust is a huge issue and, and engendering that trust through those community-based uh, elements, I think improves things. But there's some other aspects to that that seem to contribute. I mean, if you go into a school that's got some existing infrastructure, are there any barriers? I mean, as I think about it as a parent, uh, is, is that something that they're adopting? They, they um, you know, appreciate or, you know, what's been the response? So you, you have partners. And I think it's very important as health systems to understand that we have to approach this as a partnership issue. So the first partner is the school. So you have to understand what is their problem that they need to solve. So the problem they need to solve is to keep the kids in school because educational performance is directly inverse to absenteeism. So children who are absent from school are not learning. So how can we help the school system to keep the kids there? Number two is what is the, what is the reason why the healthcare system looks at this? And we look at it from increased cost, lack of value, with the fact that many children of poverty and color are using our emergency rooms for routine care. 
And we see this by data that shows a peak in, in access between the hours of 5 p.m. and 9 p.m. at night, because that's when their parents get off work and can take them to the emergency room for care. So they don't have traditional access, equitable access to a pediatrician, to a family medicine doctor during normal hours. Then there are social determinants that we have to look at, transportation, the fact that the parents have jobs and can't get off work to be able to take the child to, to a doctor's office, and the fact that they have lack of health literacy and lack of digital literacy and sometimes lack of trust. And so trying to overcome that, we had to work, sit down and, and really spend about six months to nine months with our partners, understanding the problems they were trying to solve and how we could mesh together our solutions to be able to provide health access for health and well-being for the students in school. We decided to start at the earliest age at elementary school because as we learned more from our partners, we realized that problems that start in elementary school persist through junior high and high school. And so that's where we began, understanding that we leveraged existing relationships. At our prototype school, Bessemer Elementary School in Greensboro, North Carolina, we were able to partner with the school's resource officers and the school's uh, guidance counselors, and the school actually had a parent liaison. By leveraging that relationship that already existed, we were able in our first year of operation to get 85% of the parents to consent to participate in our digital health program, which is phenomenal. Could I have done that on my own? Could Cone Health have done that on its own? No, it required a close partnership with our partner, the school. So overcoming that barrier. The second barrier of digital literacy, if I just put a camera and a TV screen in the school, Am I going to really provide an environment that number one, the child could experience as valuable, the parent could experience as valuable, the school could experience as valuable? And we recognized very early on that we needed to augment our digital care. And that idea of augmenting digital care involved using peripherals, leveraging the technology to be a high value for the pediatrician or the family doctor, so having an otoscope, having a stethoscope that was digitally enhanced so that they could be able to have a high quality examination. And then what do we as providers experience every day in our offices? We experience a staff that supports us. Mm -hmm. So the concept became a telepresenter and the telepresenter then created the case brought the child in, got the vitals, connected the parent so we could triangulate the technology so the parent could come into the virtual exam room mm -hmm. and then manipulated the devices in the virtual exam room to give the pediatrician an optimal exam experience with the child. So the disposition then for almost all common conditions, the pediatrician was comfortable with. We took it a step further and augmented that visit with point of care testing and, and, and basic pharmaceuticals. So if the kid had a bellyache, we could give them something for the bellyache. And if it resolved, 
the child could go back to class. This system, this approach resulted in three really exciting early outcomes. Number one, the vast majority of the children we saw, we were able to return to the classroom. So we did not create absenteeism, we prevented absenteeism. Number two, the parents told us that if they didn't have this option, they would have had to go to the emergency room with the child. So we were able to prevent the emergency room utilization. And number three, which is really critical, we were able to start to understand with our partners additional needs. And those additional needs that we're moving into is what I refer to as a whole child approach to digital health, where we're going to add in January behavioral health, being able to intervene early in behavioral issues at school to keep the child in school so the child doesn't get discharged for behavioral issues, and then to provide therapy in the school so the child doesn't have to leave the school to continue therapy. And then how do we look at issues of childhood that we can start to address that promote health? So then leveraging our connection and our relationship with the school to do healthy promotion. So weight promotion, making sure that we monitor chronic conditions more effectively, making sure that we promote healthy habits. Um, and I think this allows us to move into a whole child. So we've taken just creating access to acute care and we're leveraging it now for promoting health in a population which has not had an equitable access to health promotion. So I, you have to love that. And I think one of the areas that you missed when you talked about the parent having to take the uh, child to the emergency room is that they're probably having to take time off work, which is a whole additional stressor and all the transportation. So there's clearly huge benefits that would bring folks into this and say, this is working. It's, but I, as I look through this from a school perspective, and, and I, I imagine them being fully behind it, but going, I've got enough on my plate. And you talked about an additional resource, a telepresenter. And I'm sat here thinking, that's a great idea, but who was that? Was that the nurse? She's already going, I've got enough to do. Were you able to bring in research? How did you answer that problem? So that, that is very good. And that's part of the process of, that we are working through today. And, and so uh, initially we're grant funded. So we're coming into schools right now with outside funds being able to leverage this. We've been able to successfully build Medicaid for these encounters. So our providers are made whole. Um, but how do we keep the school whole and how do we then fund the growth of this project? So right now, many schools are struggling with school nurses. And part of the reasons why our school nurses are overloaded is, is they cover three or four schools often especially here in North Carolina. So how can we augment the school nurse through uh, the idea of using some of our COVID funds, perhaps, to bring in additional school staff, CMA level, CNA level staff into the schools that can act based upon standing orders and assessment paradigms to be able to extend the school nurse role and be able to provide this telepresenter role for our different schools. So that's one way we're looking at cracking the nut. The other way is understanding that telepresenters can be uh, 
uh, can, can actually move between schools based upon need. Uh, often we see we only have three or four visits a day at an elementary school. So if there are elementary schools that are proximal to each other, we can create a hub and spoke model where the telepresenter can go out with equipment to uh, several schools in the vicinity and be able to leverage that FTE. But you're absolutely right. Our biggest barrier to spreading this model is understanding that FTE and the expense related with that FTE and how we can leverage that FTE. So well, let's be frank. If, if, if you took the, uh, the metrics and you tied that to the emergency room and all of the high costs, uh, ju just that alone, I think, would easily cover this. I, just, I, I, I have to believe that. <laughs> Connecting the dots might be difficult, but you know, I think intellectually it's clear. Um, and, you know, satisfy so many um, value propositions for parents, for teachers, all of the things, keeping kids in school, um, you, you know, making it a much more sort of, uh, it, it's an investment in our future. I think we've sort of lost a little bit of that sight. We're not going to solve that here, unfortunately, uh, but at least we can solve a piece of this. The other area that sort of uh, jumps out at me is coordination. And, and maybe this is a red herring because they have no primary care providers. So there's nobody to coordinate with and this becomes the de facto care provider or how did that work out? So we uh, found very early on that we needed to partner with the existing relationships that occurred. So in our Bessemer prototype that we started, 85% of the students at Bessemer had an existing relationship with the Rice Center for Children. Many of them weren't utilizing that relationship, but they had that relationship. Mm. So being able to leverage that with providers from the Rice Center for Children, pediatricians, we were able to connect children to care that were not fully connected to care. Uh, early on in our process, we had a child seize at school and it turned out that the child had been diagnosed with a seizure disorder, given medications for a seizure disorder, but had fallen out of contact with the pediatrician and was no longer on the medications. So being able to reestablish that care was critical. There's a certain percentage of students who don't have care. So seeking care partners who are willing to take new patients um, is also part of what we do. And we've been able to establish for about 5% of the children we see, we've actually been able to establish a patient home for them. And then as we expand this, we're looking at additional partners. We've just entered into a relationship with an organization, which is an FQAC in the region. And that FQAC is the primary provider for pediatric patients in their catchment area around their main location. So schools in that area, those children are going to that FQAC. We've promoted the concept to the FQAC. We've talked with their pediatrician partners. They're excited about uh, developing a program of their own. So we don't necessarily have to control the program. We have to spread the knowledge and then support them in being able to deploy this effectively in their community. And that's part of our bigger mission. I, I have to sort of, you know, just applaud the, the, the whole approach. Um, it seems like there's even more opportunity as you think about the future. You talked about some of this with food, food um, uh, challenges, obesity, 
and all of that raises the chronic conditions that we've got in our older population, but are starting younger. How are you addressing that? Do you see some of the technology as part of that that can help sort of amplify that in this domain? So the technology for us is, is our roadway. It's, it's our access. And then how we use the technology as our care model. And so we have the ability to innovate in this new access point as, and provide new care models. So when you think about it, children leave school to have routine visits. Can we leverage that connection and allow other pediatricians to access through our access point and have a facilitated visit for a follow-up keeping the child in school? Can we leverage that for behavioral health? We've already talked about that. Can we leverage that for coaching the child and the parent together and having a coaching session uh, about health habits and healthy habits and how to maintain healthy habits? So the, the, the roadway, the infrastructure actually is being built through this connection point. And, and being able to use the beauty of digital health is it is not system linked. There is no internet connection that is cone only. Anybody can access through a digital connection. And therefore we can, we can start to bring in the larger community. Our community is blessed with a ACO, which most members of our community are part of. So we're already networked in some way. And so we can be able to utilize these access points to network people who are delivering care and help them deliver care more effectively. You know, I, I think I want to add one additional uh, opportunity uh, that, you know, comes from my own childhood. My mother stopped smoking because of me and my anti-smoking stance as a child. And I think that health impact is it permeates through that community and getting the children with the parents together for me represents a, a potential to actually fix another problem that's, you know, downstream and you fix it as well by, you know, correcting at the early ages, which is where you're addressing it. But I also think that influence you hang around healthy people and you end up with healthier people ultimately. So I, I have tremendous uh, project. I think, um, you know, lots of learning opportunities and potential for others uh, to, to really benefit from that experience and start to focus on those trust centers as you define them. I, I, uh, just fantastic uh, insights and really appreciate you joining me on the show, John. Thanks very much. Super. So not only can we start to bring about change at some of the most important and influential points of development in schools, but bringing about potential change in the older generation through the positive impact of peer influence founded on trust centers that are bringing about real change. Helping solve for the challenge of resources in the school setting by ensuring that the care delivered can be paid and economically viable through the traditional healthcare reimbursement channels and working to solve for the school's resource limitations. The creation of a telepresenter role was essential to enable the full utility of the telehealth capabilities to be delivered to the pupils and effectively empowering parents and the extended family involvement. Your bitter pill to swallow 
as you look to solve the health inequities in your demographic is to seek out partners who bring trust and community to the table and empower them with the resources and tools to create a digital program that solves for the communities most in need who have remained underserved with traditional approaches. Leveraging the existing relationship helps accelerate acceptance and shape solutions that become well accepted and even owned in the very communities that you are trying to serve. Thanks for joining me, your host, Dr. Nick, on this week's edition of Healthcare Upside Down. Until next week, keep solving the business of healthcare as if your life depended on it, as one day soon, it will. That's all the time we have for today. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening platform by searching for Healthcare Now Radio. Also, check out our blog at ecgmc.com slash hud for summaries and commentary from each episode. Follow our show's social hashtag, HCUpsideDown. And join us each week as we work to solve the business of healthcare for everyone.